Welcome to the podcast. My name's Ian. And my name's Tony, and this is Tennis Today. There are moments when he switched off, when he switched off All right, Tony. So uh, we had a couple of days here to finally catch up on some sleep. How are you feeling? Oh man, I'm feeling so much better. <laughs> I feel like I've been uh, traveling, like just in a different time zone, sore without really having done too much. Um, but yeah, what, what we were going to try to maybe record last night or this morning, then we kind of decided, you know what, let's let's make it in the morning. Um, so good. Full night's rest, had time to wake up early, go to the gym, have a coffee. Um, feeling great. Yeah, I've been following along. You're, uh, you're tagging Max Purcell and you're trying to uh, order his go-to drink order as you're out and about. How's that going for you? Yeah, so uh, Max and a buddy of his called uh, Breakfast Shirts on IG, uh, they go around and order these drinks called Piccolos, which um, something that I'd never heard of growing up here in the U.S. Uh, and apparently it's just like one part espresso, two parts your choice of steamed milk. And uh, I've been going around ordering it. Nobody seems to know what it is. And uh, they were like, all right, let, you know, let's see how you order it. You have to order it with confidence. And I... <laughs> Actually, in the video, it's funny. You can see like the confidence in my voice lesson with each line of like, hey, do you have a piccolo? Never heard of that. Oh, um, it's this, it's this. Anyways, so um, we're still searching. Um, that's a little side quest, I guess, that's come out of the, uh, the AO. But uh, yeah, still on, the, still on the search. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I was waiting for, in that video, I was waiting for you to um, emphatically back it up and say, you know, a piccolo. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, I felt so, like, awkward to just filming. I had, it fell apart quick. Like, um, what's your what's your coffee order when you go out and get coffee? I, you know what? I, I don't consider myself a coffee snob because I'd rather have coffee than not. But uh, <laughs> we, we order beans. We get these, like, Colombian beans from a company in L.A. And we do, like, pour over at home. And I've just gotten so like in love with, I, I feel like I'm doing pretty good at, with it. And I have an espresso maker at home too. And I've gotten oh. okay at pulling a shot. Um, so I, I mostly just make my own coffee and anytime, uh, you know, my girlfriend wants to go get a cup or something, we're out with the dogs. I, I usually, I'm like, Nope, we have coffee at home because you know, it's expensive. So <laughs> it, you know, it's the it little is. things. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Normally I would do cold brew stuff like that, but, um, I don't know. I, I see what they're doing on, you know, in Australia. I'm like, let me let me get in on that. Let me see what's going on. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, maybe next time uh, Max and his buddy are here in L.A., you guys can go on a piccolo search together or something. I told him, I said, I want to see how you guys do it when you're, you know, traveling abroad. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I don't know if you knew this. My it's the One of the reasons that I order the beans um, that I do, and every, my family's actually from Colombia. I'm a Colombian on my dad's side of the family. Whoa. So. So yeah, I, I I try to order Colombian coffee wherever possible, just to you know fair trade stuff, you know, uh, yeah, give support yeah. to my my heritage. So, whoa, do you speak Spanish? Mm, a little bit. You understand? Like, I, like I'm very obviously white, so like <laughs> <laughs> I can't sit here and like claim Colombian, but uh, right. but yeah, but my dad's side of the family they grew up in Colombia, so oh, that's, that's awesome. That's where I get my coffee roots from, and like growing up. Um, you'd have, uh, you know, like a glass of milk and they would put like a little coffee in. I was like, you know, nine, 10 years old and like just a little touch of coffee in Whoa. your milk. So I've been like legitimately having coffee my entire life. And I'm one of those people <laughs> like 
I know that there are people who, um, you know, don't want caffeine and stuff. That's, that's fine. Uh, I love the ritual of drinking coffee every single morning. It is one of the best parts of the day. I like that my process takes 10, 15 minutes. I like that slow start to my day. So I'm one of those people. I'm like, I, I love my addiction to coffee. I can't survive <laughs> without it. And I'm like totally okay with that. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So yes, we're well rested. Um, we got to uh, kind of fully uh, digest everything that's happened over the weekend with the women's and the men's final at Australian Open. Uh, going forward, the plan is going to be to make this more of a weekly podcast. Of course, if there's tennis news to talk about that um, requires us hopping on and having some urgency to the conversation, we definitely will. But the plan is at least to do like once a week, probably something like Sunday, Monday, recap some of the uh, the smaller tournaments that are happening and, um, you know, and see where it goes from there and, you know, bring on guests and, and have different conversations. We've already kind of started taking some notes on topics that we want to cover with the podcast. Um, but for today, we're sticking with AO. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to talk about our final thoughts from the tournament, talk about the finals a little bit, um, and uh, talk about the ranking movement and things that have happened um, on the heels of the tournament here. So um, so we're going to dive into some of that. Uh, Tony's rocking a new hat today. Um, so we've got uh, yes. questions. And so Tony, describe your, uh, your new hat there. All right. Uh, hat reads Mykonos Island purchased... <laughs> in Mykonos. Um, so yeah, just, I don't actually own a lot of blue hats, but I was, um, on vacation last year in Europe and was, you know, we were on a cruise ship, stopped in Mykonos, just kind of walking around and, uh, this caught my eye. I'm sure this hat is probably like 10 years old. I don't know. It, it was like, it was sitting in the back and it just kind of caught my eye. And I was like, you know what? I, I like that. I don't have a lot of blue hats. So, uh, I went for it. That's what I got today. Oh, looks good. Looks good. Yeah, what have you got? I uh, is that the courts? Sure is. Nice. So, uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the courts, the courts um, is a uh, tennis center of four tennis courts and a pool and a basketball court. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Literally, that's how it's advertised. Um, it's in Borrego Springs in the desert. Out here in California, a friend of ours owns that place. And uh, upcoming Low Desert Open, actually, they host a little small amateur tournament that's uh, the weekend before Indian Wells. And it's fun. You see a lot of the people who go to that tournament and then all make the trek over to Indian Wells together to catch the qualifying and early rounds. I, don't, are you, I know both you and I are planning to go to Indian Wells. Are you going to be at Low Desert Open this year? Man, it's always – If I feel like if it was – so never have I ever. I've never been there. I've uh, mm. seen a ton of it. I know, you know. The owners, cool people, play tennis with them. Um, but uh, just because it's kind of like justifying weeks away from my lessons and stuff like that, where it's like, oh, I like three weeks in a row if I'm doing both weekends of Indian Wells. Um, yeah. Don't know. And like this uh, this uh, month going into uh, Indian Wells is like San Diego, Acapulco, yep. then potentially Miami after Indian Wells, which I'm going to try to get to. So um I'm going to miss it. <laughs> yeah, this is this is the it. time of the year that it's like, I feel like for us, especially in, and in California, it's like a sprint. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Australian Open kept us really busy, obviously. But yeah, the whole first week uh, before the Indian Wells starts is San Diego Open. The last day of that is also the weekend that the Low Desert Open's happening at the courts. Then you've got Indian Wells and there's various events all happening out there. You know, Desert Smash at La Quinta and stuff. 
Um, two weeks of that. And yeah, I've done Miami Open one year too. I've never done the Sunshine Double in the same year. We're going, I've gone to Indian Wells and gone to Miami Open. I don't think I've got the legs for it this year. Um, <laughs> just so much, such a sprint for us. And uh, yeah, it's a great time of year. So a spring tennis in California is just the best. There's so much happening. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, we've got like one month to prepare basically. Yeah, I was thinking of that too because we have like so many ideas and things that we want to get to. I'm like, wow, we're going to be, you know, we're going to have a little couple weeks here where things are going to be slow and then it's going to pick right back up for us again, especially if we both end up getting down to San Diego uh, with credentials yeah. or something. Yeah, dude, we could do a, a podcast on location. I mean, maybe not in the press room, but like we could do it from a tournament. That would be cool. Yeah, we'll do, we'll get Ostapenko on and she'll um, do like a baking lesson or something. <laughs> Dude, I would love that. Let me, yeah, exactly. Let's just, uh, let's make, I don't know, a souffle or something. Yeah, <laughs> let's keep it easy, like pudding or something. I have no idea. I it, It's all difficult for me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's get into some of the finals. We had a couple of notes from the doubles that were um, really fun. Uh, you know, Shay Suey, who actually, I don't know if you caught, she was wearing one of my favorite outfits. And it, it took me till towards later half of the tournament to see she's completely unsponsored. Uh, she was wearing a Lorna Jane outfit. I think she kept on changing like the visors and hats that she was wearing. She's, you know, been on the tour for, for a long time and just such a legend of the game. But um Amazing finish to the tournament for her. She's retiring from singles, grand slams, probably still going to participate in some smaller tournaments and, um, you know, local tournaments uh, at various locations, but she's still participating in the doubles and still um, one of the best in the game. She's age 36. Her game is just, she's, uh, you know, small and feisty. And she reminds me of some of the, the, uh, the USTA players that I hit with up here (laughs) who are just like, rock solid and you know you just tell they have that you know years of doubles experience and it doesn't matter how hard i can hit the ball they're just so much smarter with the with (laughs) placement and and at the net and everything um but yeah really cool tournament from her she's uh ends up being the first player to win the women's doubles title and the mixed doubles title since renee stubbs the fellow australian uh in year 2000 so uh shay suey uh you know carrying the torch there for the veterans um, I don't know. Did you get to catch any of her matches this this, uh, um, this year? I caught the final of the mixed on AO Radio. I was making my way down from LA, and I was just listening to it. And I was like, "Oh, hey!" I I got to see her warm up at Indian Wells because the first match is on at eleven, gates open at ten, and usually there's players warming up on on the court. Um, you know, up until like fifteen twenty minutes before the match, and we were out there, and yeah, she was unsponsored, and I was with my wife, and she was kind of like who who's this like she's good but it's it's kind of weird like look like she's slicing everything like what's going mm-hmm. on and i was like yeah that's like uh, she's one of the best players in the world actually yeah um uh yeah strange but yeah obviously uh still dominant in doubles it's uh it's a it's a big accomplishment winning both yeah no yeah shout out to the veterans we got a, another one here from the doubles too we talked about uh, rohan bopana and, and ebden um, they end up winning the men's doubles final seven six seven five. Um, I didn't realize this. You know, they kind of they've really been a factor for uh, the last year or so. But I didn't realize this was the first Grand Slam title that they won as a team. Um, 
And it's actually the first Grand Slam title for uh, for Bopana, which is amazing. So uh, talk about peaking uh, at the tail end of your career. He's 43 years old. He becomes the oldest player in the open era to win a Grand Slam title. So um, pretty awesome stories coming out of the doubles there. Uh, you know, I'm 35 years old. So when I see anybody close to my age out there doing yeah. it, I'm like, hey, there's there's still hope for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I thought. I was like, I still got about 10 years. Like, let's <laughs> right. see what can happen. I played decent the other day. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you play more singles or doubles? I tend to play more doubles. Um, I'll do – recently it's been a lot of singles mainly. Mm-hmm. And just in the sense of, like, logistics, it's easier. Like, I just hit up a buddy and be like, hey, you want to hit tomorrow? Um, but like I've started and I think doubles kind of depends on like, uh, the crew you're playing with. Is it going to be super competitive? Is it going to be fun? Um, but like last week I put a crew together for doubles. I had to go out of my way to LA to go play, but I had a great time and actually we're going to try to run it back basically. So, um, I'm looking to play a little bit more doubles. I kind of forgot how, how fun it is just with the angles and the situations that come up, uh, poaching, not poaching. Um, but yeah, mainly just for me, just singles, just for logistics. Cause sometimes I'll have a random two hour break and I'll just be like, Hey, I want to, I want to get some tennis in. So I'll hit hit somebody up. Yeah. We have a, a lot of people that play up here. And when you do find a good, like doubles click and a good doubles group, it is fun. I don't like to take it too seriously. I've been invited to, to join like USTA leagues and everything. And mm. I'm sure I'd have a great time too, but there are just some people who just take it way too serious. I'm like, we're not, we're not playing for anything here. And um, I, you know, I, I kind of like to goof off. I bring a speaker on the court too. Like, I don't know. That's nice. not really a, a court etiquette uh, thing, but like, <laughs> I don't care. I, I, I just want to be out there and have a good time and hang out with friends. So I, I definitely play more doubles. I don't think I'm a good doubles player necessarily like the strategies, but I do like that. It forces you to, um, you know, you can't hit a bad return off a serve. It does force you into playing a different style of game than you do in singles. And I just, I don't think I'm consistent enough to really hang in singles. So, yeah, yeah, I've got, to, and I know we're trying to keep it somewhat short today, but I've got a whole for another episode league stories. The stuff mm. that I see at my club is insane. Just oh yeah, we definitely got into and, that. Like. Oh man, I get yelled at and I'm just like, Hey, I'm just trying to do my job. Like, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Oh, we have, we have to, yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like a lot of people stories. will be able to relate to that. I, I he, we have a friend, uh, who's up in, um, like the Santa Barbara Montecito area and she participates in a league there. And she's just like, she's like, they need to make a reality TV series about our league. <laughs> like, she's like, there's fights. There's like disputes over line calls. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, you know, amateur players like you and I can relate to stories like that. Everybody's got those like, those people who take it way too seriously and you're like, oh my God. Yeah, dude, the, the police were called at my club a few weeks oh back. Oh my God. We can't tease that and not talk. <laughs> no, I, I'll let that be the teaser. But yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it, it gets wild out there. Yeah. Oh, wow. Newport Beach, well, California. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> oh, I can't um, wait to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah that'll, that, that's, yeah. Yeah, man. Um. All right. Well, another time. Uh, we'll talk about the finals and we'll start with the women since that was on a couple days ago. Um, so uh, no surprise in the outcome here. Sabalenka beats Zhang 6-3, 6-2. Uh, some of the notes that I had from that match. I don't think Arena played her best game. She wasn't in a position where she needed to hit a lot of winners, but it didn't matter. Um, I don't know if you felt differently just watching it back. She was just too powerful for Zhang. I think it was one of those matches where there was a very obvious display in difference in the game. Somebody who is just a step above and it's 
not a knock on Zhang at all. She played a great tournament. She beat who she had to beat to get there. Um, she's, you know, a top 10 player now and talent wise, um, you know, worthy of a top 10 spot, but it was just, uh, to me, it was really obvious. It was on display. Um, Sabalenka is just the better player and that's, you know, okay to admit. Yeah, hundred percent. That's, uh, I mean, kind of what I've been saying on, on par with, you know, there's, you know, tier one, which is, I guess you could say top 10 or I'm sorry, tier one, which is like the top three. And then kind of like everyone else in the top 10 could be considered tier two, I guess. Um, yeah, it was the type of thing where it was like, all right, is this going to be close? Is it not? And, Arena had her hiccups, which is like, okay, but uh, it didn't seem like there was she was ever in any danger or ever really uncomfortable. It was just like, you know, kind of like a a clear set thing of like, okay, she, it's just how, you know, is it going to be in straight sets or is it going to be in three or how how is this going to go? Yeah, I mean, Zhang ended up with only four break points the whole match. She never converted on any of them. Um, the only time that it felt like Sabalenka wavered slightly was she actually had triple champ. I mean, you know, it's hard to say she wavered when we're talking about <laughs> championship point here, but she had triple championship point. Um, you know, nobody had it was, was doubting in their mind that she was going to take it through the finish line there, but triple championship point at five, two in the second set. Uh, she ended up letting John get back in. I think she was just really trying to hit a homer at the end just to like walk, you know, like a walk off yeah. home run. And I just sailed a couple long. Um, and then it ended up taking her five championship points to, to get it done. But, but she did. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of like the, the winners versus the unforced errors, it ended up being even, she only had 14, uh, 14 winners and 14 unforced errors. So again, not her best tennis. She didn't have to play her best tennis and the match was over in I believe an hour and 15 minutes. So it was an easy one for, for me to watch in the morning as opposed to having to stay up late. So, (laughs) yeah, exactly. I stayed up and I had to rewatch it basically because I stayed up, fell asleep, for not that long and it was over and I was like, Oh, all right. Well, I guess I'm going back to sleep. Um, yeah, no, I mean, great, great tournament for arena. I, I, I know there's some chatter of like, well, she didn't beat Lena. She didn't beat Iga. And it's like, look, you gotta, you can only play who makes it there. You can only play the draw and, uh, never lost a set. I think, right. Never lost a set. I think you're right. Um, yeah. Dominant, having a good time. I mean, certainly settled in. Uh, and, uh, this is, I mean, not her best tennis, but maybe the best version of Arena that that we've seen who's still able to win when she's not playing her best. She's not really fighting the mental demons anymore. Um, And good for her. She's now starting to... uh, Obviously, she was on the Tier 1 before, but she's starting to kind of pull away even further from everyone else. So it's good to see. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what she's able to do the rest of the year. I think it's safe to say, you know, at least in the last two years... Um, Australian Open is is kind of her home court right now, um, and and cool that she won back to back. I'm not sure. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but is she the first women woman to win back to back since Azarenka in 2012 2013? Whoa! And which would be ironic because they're both Belarusian. I'd have to go back and check, but that's the person that comes yeah. to mind. That, you know who who won back to back? So, um, you're probably right because just going through, it just felt like a different. You know a different player every year. Um, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I'll but, have to check. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, good for arena. Happy playing great. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to also mm-hmm. let you kind of take the lead talking about center and Medvedev. Uh, so that one Oof. ends up going five sets. 
Uh, you stayed up for this one. I, I kind of did and then fell asleep and then woke up and then I just went back, like you said, and kind of watched it the next day too and um, made sure I wasn't missing anything. But I'll uh, I'll let you, you start on this one and, and yeah. kind of tell your thoughts. So uh, a lot of feels during this match, happy and sad. Um, well, from the get-go, Danil kind of surprised everyone and came out just guns blazing playing from basically on the baseline his forehand was almost 10 miles an hour 10 miles an hour faster than what he normally plays was actively looking to get forward to the net and like was sticking his volleys it, it was incredible honestly it was uh i mean kind of embarrassing but like uh once he got up early like that i started i had a bunch of memes ready to go of just like like how ridiculous this this outcome was uh, memes that I guess we'll never see now because uh, it didn't go that way. But um, yeah, I mean, he, you know, Sinner, he wasn't necessarily playing bad. He was making a lot of errors, but I would say that was partially due to what Medvedev was doing. Sinner just didn't have time to, you know, rip the ball or do what he normally does. Um, there was a moment, what was it? 5-1 where Danil was serving it out and uh, got broken. And that kind of felt like that was like the first positive body language we saw from Yannick. It was mm-hmm. kind of like, all right, well, let's see, let's see what he can do with that. It still felt like, I think I texted you. I was like, man, like the margins are going to be so tight for, for Yannick to come back here. Um, so ended up holding serve after that. I think the second set was six, three or something like that, maybe even six, four. Um, and yeah, it, then after that, it kind of felt like Daniil got away from playing as aggressively as he was in the first set. And I don't know, he said in his post-match that it was, uh, you know, maybe it was physically because he said mentally he thought he was still attacking the same way. Um, but it was noticeable. His his core mm-hmm. position moved back. He was just kind of happy to, to rally. And that's where uh, Sinner started kind of finding his legs, finding his rhythm and and yeah from then on it was kind of like all right like can can he do this and uh i wouldn't say it was a result where like danil blew it because he never it's not like he had match points or anything there there was a moment where he was six points away from the trophy where i think it was four all 30 all and they played a tight 30 all point and it was kind of like all right if if that could have went danil's way and he has a break point we'll never know but uh yeah man it was Crazy, unique starting to hit winners, getting to the net, introducing drop shots, and going into the fifth, it was like, oh man, what you know, what's going to happen? We we've seen this with Daniel before, where he goes five and he just kind of conserves until the end of the set and he makes his push. And mm-hmm. I thought that might happen, but uh, no, uh, Sinner had the window first and didn't blink, broke serve, served it out, and um, has his first Grand Slam title. Yeah, great. I mean, you really feel for Daniil, um with what he went through. Had he won, he would have been the first uh, first player, I believe, to win four five-set matches on their way to a Grand Slam. Um, he ends up losing uh, after, what do I have here, uh, two, 23 hours and 50 minutes on court, which is the most ever at a slam. Yeah. Um, and he played 31 sets, which is the most ever at any Grand Slam. So he really put in the work harder than anybody in the history of tennis ever has to, to get there. Um, can't really dispute the facts there. It's nobody's ever had to play more tennis. Um, so you really feel for him and, um, he becomes the first person in the Australian open to lose two finals, uh, being up to nothing 
uh, the other one being against Nadal. And he talked about that. He talked about he how um, he, he you know he's trying to put that thought away, uh, thinking back to that match against Nadal. Um, if he pulled it off, it would have been one of the most impressive feats in tennis. I would have been really happy for him. I'm you know I'm happy for Sinner as well, and I think they're both going to have other opportunities at Slams. But yeah, it's hard not to feel bad for Daniil in that moment, just with how much he had to go through to get to that point and. Um, but it was a, it was a great match. You, you know, my pick was Sinner, and I even admitted Sinner it was for five. no reason at all. But I did say, <laughs> I wonder at some point is are we going to see Daniil run out of gas? And he even admitted he didn't think he'd be able to go five sets again, and that was part of his um, aggressiveness in the first two sets, playing closer to the baseline, shortening the points, going up to the net, and he's not a strong net, you know, volley player. Um, you know, he did what he had to, uh, to start that match and it definitely was throwing center off, but, um, even he admitted he didn't think that he could go five sets again. Um, so it went five sets. He hung in there in those other two that went six, four. Um, but just, yeah, you kind of saw in some of those longer rallies, his body language, you know, with a couple of those shots, it was a lot harder for him to recover and get back into position, um, you know, and eventually, you know, Sinner just puts it away. But yeah, good for Sinner. He becomes the first Italian male player to win a Grand Slam since Adriano Panada. Um, great moment for him. Great moment for the uh, Carota boys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and a good match. And another another five-setter for Medvedev, which is wild. Great way to cap the tournament, which mm-hmm. on the men's side, I think was a great tournament. Um, yeah, it's... Um... It's a credit. It's kind of something that you spoke on a few uh, few days ago about Carlos, about younger players. Can they go to a plan B? Can they find something when their plan A isn't working? Because Sinner definitely got, got punched in the mouth early in the match and was pretty much down on the mat, down two sets, not a lot of positive things going his way. But, uh, you know, he's pretty stoic on court. You know, once in a while you'll get a come on. He looks to his box a lot. And... Uh, I mean, that's huge to win in that way where it's kind of like, okay, like in following that up to pretty much destroying Novak in the semis and then going through Danil, who he does great at the AO and obviously was six points away from taking home the title and, and Sinner was like, okay, like let's let's figure this out. And he found a way to win. Um, great great result. I mean, Sinner's been someone that's like, all right, everyone's waiting for him to make the big jump, and he's someone that's been just kind of incrementally getting better results, getting better, and uh, just in the last four months, I think this is this is the quantum jump that everyone's been looking for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great Yeah, great little wrap-up there on the overall feeling with Sinner and the tournament. Um, we do have some final thoughts on AO, um, if you want to get into those. Uh, just kind of summarizing, not the matches or the final, but really just the entirety of the tournament. So um, you saw during the final, I believe it was the final, the women's final or the men's final, they made the official, I think it was maybe semifinals, they made the official announcement that they had broken the 1 million attendees, which is a new attendance record for the tournament. It's a new attendance record for all of the Grand Slams. Man. And I have to double check, but I think it's the fifth or sixth slam event in a row where the where they broke their attendance record. I know last year all four slams broke their highest attendance record and Australian Open broke it 
our uh, U.S. Open broke it the year prior to that. Then you're getting into, you know, 2020 and 2021 COVID restrictions. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think it's the sixth slam in a row to break its attendance record, which just kind of speaks to the health of tennis right now. I mean, that's pretty incredible. A million attendees over the course of two weeks is insane. Yeah, that's, uh, man, and that kind of wants, really wants me to get, get down to the AO just to see how, how big the grounds are. I mean, I think mm-hmm. uh, Craig Shapiro made that great post of him just kind of walking around the grounds. It's like, this, this is a party out here and, you know, throwing the camera around and kind of seeing everyone just kind of hanging out, you know, in between matches. And uh, yeah, I mean, great, great for tennis. I mean, even better to go watch it live in person. So I, I love to hear that, love to see that. Yeah. And speaking of it being a party, I know everybody refers to it as the happy slam. Uh, They experimented with the first courtside bar, um, which (laughs) was received with mixed reviews. Um, I've got I got a lot of messages about this when I posted uh, (laughs) when they made the announcement that this was going to be coming. And I'm even former players that had reached out to me and said, it's a terrible idea. You're (laughs) You're inviting, you know, public drunkenness and all this. Um, I don't know. I, I was like, let's, you, you could buy a drink anyways. I don't know if, if nobody's ever been to a grand slam or a tournament, you can get a gin and tonic and take it to wherever you're sitting. It just makes it a little bit easier if you're sitting at a, you know, bar stool or, you know, bar top mm-hmm. or whatever, and can order drinks. But, um, I don't know. Good for them for trying it. Uh, it had mixed reviews. There were some players that mentioned that they thought it was really disruptive and noisy. Um, Bedosa, uh, Rinderneck, who I think he, mm-hmm kind of had a bit of an outburst at the chair umpire about it. He thought he it was really disrupting his match. Fans seemed to love it. I heard that there was a really hard time getting seats there. Um, no surprise. And then there were some players that uh, said, hey, you know, too bad. Uh, this is the direction that sport's going, and that's what's paying the bills. And um, the fans showing and showing up and spending their money is the reason that they're able to make more money as tennis players and the reason that these tournaments are able to happen. And, um, you know, ultimately that's that, you know, it's, it's there for the fans viewing. So, uh, I don't know if you got to read into that at all, but it was kind of an interesting experiment that obviously had some mixed reviews. Yeah. Just, just through your stories. And then, you know, obviously I saw some players talking about it. Um, yeah, I think it's cool. I, I do, you know, I, I feel like just kind of the setting of just being at a bar, I feel like you could lose track of where you are for a second and just start talking mm-hmm. in the middle of the point and like that might be a problem. Mm-hmm. But I think as long as, I don't know, I imagine there was some form of supervision or an usher there that's like kind of, you know, saying, hey, you know, please keep it down or something like that. But as a fan experience, I'm sure it's awesome. Uh, nothing, like you said, too different than what's normal. You're more than welcome to grab a couple drinks and take it to your seat. I mean, I've seen quite a few people that... uh it's what you want to call it, overserved at Indian Wells, just <laughs> completely wasted, having to get pulled out uh, by security. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think I think it's cool. Shout out to the AO for trying something different, something new. I know in uh, in San Diego they did something like that, but it's like along the practice courts to where basically you can get your drink and watch the practice courts, which I thought was awesome. No one's going to complain about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, I, I have to imagine there are players that might even request playing on that. And the people nice. that come to mind as probably like the curioses of the world. Yeah. He's somebody yeah. who thrives when the fans are being a little unruly and a little, you know, loud and, or, you know, in his box yep. and stuff. So uh, I think there's going to be players that might want to play on that court. And that'll be kind of its own interesting thing to see play out if, you know, other tournaments start to do stuff like this or if it becomes something unique to AO. So um, does, uh, does the AO have a drink? 
like a like you know like a classic you know honeydews or pims because mm. I can't really I saw some, you know some you know influencers I guess going around and like they were just talking about like beers like we're here mm-hmm. for the beers type of stuff but I was like do they have a I not not that I know of not like a cocktail right they must they I don't I don't know it if they do have one but every tournament has their like liquor brand uh right. partnership and you know right. that's why you have the honey deuce because it's Grey Goose vodka at the U.S. Open. You know mm-hmm. we got Pims for Wimbledon. They have the Pims mm-hmm. Cup. They have to. Yeah, I don't know. If, we'll have if to somebody look knows, up. leave a comment. Let us know. Yeah, please, <laughs> please, and your and a review on it too. Let us know. There you it's go. Good. Yes. Um, yeah. Speaking of the fan experience, so we did talk about this earlier in another episode about fans coming and going and not just during the changeovers. We had an interesting comment. I don't know that we brought it up on here, but somebody who had attended when they were experimenting with it last year. And one of the points that she made was she was against it. And one of the points that she made was that um, if you are you might pay extra to be at an aisle seat so you can kind of come and go easily, go to the bathroom, get food, get drinks, whatever. Uh, but if you're one of those people who paid extra to be in a section or be in an aisle seat, the coming and going was extremely yeah. disruptive to that experience. And it's unfortunate, especially if you spent the money to have that seat. So that's kind of an interesting perspective to hear. I'd, I'd be curious to hear from other people who attended the Australian Open what their feelings on uh, the fans coming and going, uh, not just at changeovers, but between each game. Um, yeah, really curious to see how that one plays out. And, um, you know, there were, I think, a lot more pauses. You started to notice that in more of the higher tension matches. There was a lot yep. more waiting for the fans to settle in. And we're, we were seeing that even in the quarterfinals and semis. And I was like, come on, people, sit down. Like, let's yeah. go, let's yeah, go. Seriously. I started to notice it more. Yeah, same. Uh, also, I don't know if you noticed the uh, the ushers were wearing, like, these bright fluorescent yellow uh, mm-hmm. shirts. I, I can't remember who, but a player was like, come on. Like, that's, like, the worst. That's, like, the yeah. most distracting color. Like, And yep. I started to pick up on that when they would pan up and show the people filing. In. I'd be like, oh, yeah, there's there's the shirt. Um, yeah, because I've, I've sat – not exactly in the aisle when at Indian Wells before, you know, general admission, open seating, get there early. I would like to sit uh, next to the coach's box, like that first chair that's right next to them, just to kind of listen in onto what's going on, player mm. feedback, stuff like that. But that also is like basically an aisle seat. And anytime somebody want an in or out, you have to kind of get up and like, yeah, pretty inconvenient. Yeah. And especially if it's every potentially every game that. uh that's, uh, I guess, a potential downside I didn't think about. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if other tournaments start to adopt something like that. Another suggestion that I, I saw people tossing around was, well, maybe there are sections where they allow that. And to me, that seems right. I don't yeah. think you want a lot of movement behind the player serving um, or in front of the player serving, maybe yeah. the sides, or maybe you designate an area where you're allowed to come and go. That seems to make a lot more sense to me. And, um, you know, I, my guess is maybe they move in a direction towards that. Um, yeah. Cause that just seems to make sense. That's kind of a, a, a perfect harmony there. So, yeah. Uh, let's see some other stuff from AO. Um, they ended up playing uh, 35 total five set matches. Uh, all of them Medvedev. <laughs> <laughs> Felt like uh, it. it ends up tying the most ever at a grand slam 1983 us open. I actually want to go back and look at the draws from that us open just to see if there's oh, any, wow. I'm sure there's names that I'm going to know, but like if there's any matches that stand out, I am curious to see because 
We talked about this maybe in the first episode and we were talking about round one and how competitive tennis is right now and how much um, parody there is in, in, you know, of course, and then we had this like massacre in the women's bracket, (laughs) but um, you know, we talked about uh, matches going longer and that being a big factor for why they needed to adjust the scheduling a little bit. Um, Perfect example. We just tied the record for, for uh, five set matches and, um, 35 total is, you know, it's, it's a ton. It's a, it's a lot of match play. It's a lot of time. Yeah. Tournament ended with a five set match. That's right. Um, uh, I'm curious, 1983 U S open, they did not have a fifth set tie break. I'm assuming. Oh, probably not. No, wow, it would have been before the changes. Oh, yeah. My God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of tennis. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know, just some final thoughts here. Um, I have a couple notes just on the women's side. I think you can really categorize what happened on the women's side as it being very unpredictable. It's something a little bit more like what we were used to seeing over the last decade before some of the uh, dominance of Iga and Rabakina and Sabalenka. Um, it kind of uh, was pretty unpredictable. And, and I just, I don't know if you noticed this, but I, I think in the later rounds, um, it, it's cool when those stories happen and you see these players who are you know coming out of coming out of seemingly nowhere and, and making this, this uh, meteoric rise. Um, I felt like the women's side, it lost, it missed the big names towards the end. It did. It didn't really, I, I felt like we really could have used having an Iga or a bigger name in there that uh, had more of a draw for the semifinals and the finals. Um, still great matches and still good stories in their own right. But I, I did feel like it was missing a little bit of something, especially with, um, you know, on the heels of Sinner and Medvedev and some of the matches we saw on the men's side. I don't know if that's kind of your takeaway from the women's, but that was mine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, can you imagine if, if Sabalenka wasn't there? Like, what <laughs> what the what the chatter would be? So, I mean, it, it's huge that she made it, obviously, coming off of uh, Breakpoint from Netflix. It's like, right, star of the show, wins the tournament again. So that, that kind of is the saving grace, I guess, for the... Uh, the casual viewer who just kind of dipping in here and there. Um, but yeah, a little, little unpredictable and definitely, I mean, we were set for a decent semi, I guess, with Coco. Um, kind of ended up being all right, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, but that's how it goes. That's tennis. Yeah. And how would you, uh, how would you categorize the men's side and kind of summarize that? Uh solid. I mean, the, the seeds kind of, obviously there was a few that dropped. There was, uh, a lot of randomness early in the tournament with like huge players being tested early, a ton of five setters, as you'd mentioned, a few upsets here and there, um, a few dark horses that made pretty deep runs into the second sets. And then in the end, uh, you know, you, the top seeds make it through and we have a, a first time AO winner. So I, I actually, I, I don't know how it could have gone any better on the men's side. I think it was great tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess I I agree with. I, I don't know that I could have scripted a, a better way for it to play out. It's interesting. We're going to talk about the ranking movements in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because the top six players actually there's zero movement at all, <laughs> but it feels different, doesn't it? The way that mm-hmm. this ended, uh, Djokovic mm-hmm. getting eliminated. You had Sitsipas losing a couple rounds earlier. It feels different. Um, you th- you think it feels a little bit more like between those six players, uh, 
you know, you might be able to make a case for somebody else being the best player in the world and the rankings not necessarily being representative of of who is the top player right now. Um, it's definitely leveled the playing field. You know, you've got questions about did Sinner just leapfrog Alcaraz? Is Djokovic on the, you know, the downtrend? Um, you know, was that Medvedev's best, maybe last chance at a slay? I, I don't know. I mean, and I'm not the one saying this, but in general, you've got no movement in that top six or, you know, limited movement in the top 10 entirely, but um, it just had a different feeling. I think there's a lot more attention that's going to be paid to who is going to solidify themselves in that top 10 spot and who's going to begin to fall out of it maybe. So, yeah, it's going to be first couple months are going to be interesting. And that's kind of an interesting thing about, following the tour is, you know, and we'll get into where, where they're moving on to next and how that affects rankings points and stuff like that. But I totally agree. Is Sinner tier one? Is he above Alcaraz? Is, you know, Medvedev playing aggressive? Is that, is that just what he's going to do now? Can he, you know, did he unlock something? So, um, yeah, top four feels, you know, solidified. And then everyone else, it feels like there's going to be some movement. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. All right, we got best of and worst of AO. Um, let's keep this brief. I'm just going to yes. say what the category is, and you're going <laughs> to tell me your thoughts. Best okay. outfit. Uh, Grigor. Backwards okay. hat. Lacoste. Love that. Yep. Um, for, for me, Azarenka. Uh, yeah. Wasn't somebody that we mentioned early on, but she crushed it in that mauve Nike fit. Yeah, that was good. Um, best moment. Uh, oh, I'm holding a microphone, so I can't do it. But the double Manorino, double yes. bagel. Yes. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I got two. I got uh, Courier's on-court interviews. Um, I think there's a need for better commentating in the sport. And Courier is somebody that I think peels back the layers and is a very uh, uh, eloquent speaker. I also have Medvedev's, it's a bit of a cheat, but Medvedev's five sets. I mean, that was four matches in itself. And for me, it was kind of the story of the tournament on the men's side. Uh, worst of AO, worst outfit. Worst, oh, the, it, it, I don't know if anyone saw it. I'll put it in here. But the, the, somebody's wife made them koala shirts, pink koala polos. Um, good on him for wearing what his wife made, but awful <laughs> yeah uh, yeah you'll have to look up the name of the player it starts with the uh, p i, I got it it's uh ariel bahar and his partner bahar. But his ariel bahar koala shirts created by wife's fashion brand la la sportswear um <laughs> i don't think I it's just... that I, here's why here's uh, i'm gonna <laughs> okay i'll play devil's advocate okay is it bad yeah do they know <laughs> it's bad yeah, like that's the point. It's funny. Like they 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 wear uh, th- that doubles pairing. They wear those like goofy shirts at all of the tournaments. They wear like gingerbread cookies on them and stuff. Like oh really God. bizarre stuff. Yeah, um, I gotta look into this. Yeah, they they oh they have God. like six. They've wore like six or seven different ones, and I think that's like it, it's intentionally funny. They're like the seventy okay. something ranked doubles team. They're like, well, how else are we gonna get people's attention? I think I it's great. got mine. <laughs> uh. Another one I got two of them here for, Ostapenko. I can never stand what she's wearing. Um, it does it match her personality? Sure. Uh, but if I had to pick another, uh, it was a German player. She didn't make it out of qualifying, but she was one of the first players, uh, Ella Seidel. Uh, she was one of the first players represented by Boss's new um, women's capsule, and it looked like a milkmaid outfit. It was terrible. 
Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yep, black okay. and white. Very mm. weird. Uh, worst awesome. moment? Worst moment, uh, Zverev press conferences, the ones where, you know, he was being asked and he was very smug about it. Um, not good. Yep. Yep. We're on the same yeah, page. It's an easy, easy one. Did you see we got our first stick to sports comment on our, oh, one of our clips? Yeah, dude. I almost commented on it, but I was like, I, I, I almost commented. You did. And I, I was going to comment something ridiculous, but I was like, you know what? To honor, <laughs> Ian gave a good answer. I'm not going to like devalue that by chiming in with like my. <laughs> but yeah, our our guy Klaus, he uh, he came after us, and it's like, all right, I like sorry to disappoint you, sir. Yeah, I don't even know if he listened to the episode. I he did think not. he said he didn't. So uh, yeah, I'm just not going to entertain a conversation if you are only taking a minute and thirty second clip where we're talking about the subject. I think listen to the full context of our conversation first. I think I feel like we outlined why we thought it was an important topic to bring up, and to me, it you know. You know, people will be able to read my comment, but I said that it does intersect with sports, and that's why we brought it up. And um, you know, I, there were a lot of people. Thank you, listeners, that were really supportive of the fact that we talked about it, and we had a, a lot of people who were um, engaging with us, with us over that. So, um, Klaus, uh, if you end up listening, uh, we love your support. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's okay to disagree, um, but I do not subscribe to the stick to sports conversation. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk about that kind of wraps up AO. I don't really have any other final thoughts. Do you? Um, no, good tournament. Enjoyed it. High value, you know, all the way around. Um, no, starts off the grand slam starts off the season in a good way. Mm hmm. I agree. kind of quickly run through the ranking movement um so as we mentioned atp top six remains the same uh runa and her cash move up one fritz finds himself back in the top 10 again moving up to number nine he was up three spots from 12 um and that's all made possible because stefanos falls four spots to number 10 um and i believe if demon had beat rublev stefanos would have fallen out of the top 10 entirely um so he's going to be somebody to watch how is he going to rebound um so that's kind of the, the shakeup at the top 10 and the biggest movers. Um, and we're only just going to focus on the top 100 here for now. Uh, Nuno Borges makes his top 50 debut. Uh, he ends up at number 47. That's after yeah. moving up 22 spots. He becomes the second Portuguese player to ever make it into the top 50. Uh, why did I not prepare a quiz for who the other one was? I'm trying to think of what who it mean? is, who the other Portuguese player to hit the top 50 is. We have to figure uh... that one out. Wow. We'll no, come back no to idea. it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come back to Whoa. it. Yeah. Um, Cazzo uh, ends up being uh, moving the most. Uh, Cazzo up 39 spots to number 83 in the world. Definitely somebody to keep an eye out for. Um, and yeah. then uh, kind of a fun one to mention here, Brandon Nakashima. Yeah. He's been a top 100 player in the past. Uh, maybe even top 50, I believe. But he moved mm-hmm. up 31 spots. He actually didn't qualify for AO. But he went and played a challenger event instead and ended up making it into the finals, which uh, helped him um, move up and retain some ranking points. So he's uh, in number 96. So those are the top movers of the ATP. Mm-hmm. Um, on the WTA side, 
Um, Iga and uh, Sabalenka both stay at one and two. Coco moves up to three. Jess Pagula moves up to four. And that is made possible by Rabakana falling three spots to five. Uh, Anj Jabour, six. Uh, Zhang moves up eight spots into the top ten for her top ten debut. She's at number seven. Uh, and then rounding out the top ten, you've got Vondrasova, Sakari, and Mukova. The biggest movers post-tournament, um, you know, there's, there's a lot because there was <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of runs here. Um, yep. So we're just going to mention, in the again, in the top 100, the people who moved up the most. You have Yastremska, who moved up 64 spots to number 29. Naskova moved up 20 spots to number 30, right behind her. Uh, Kalinskaya moves up 37 spots to number 38. And Timofeva, who moved 70 spots to wow. get to number 100. Wow. A lot of movement. Yeah, a lot of rankings points to be had at the slams. Well, here's a question for you. Okay. Who's the best player in the world right now, men's and women's? Is it the players that are ranked one on both sides? Or can you make a case for somebody else? A uh, strong case for Sinner now. I mean, just by, you know, I've said it before, but by, by the way he finished last year and has kept that momentum, you know, beating everyone he should beat convincingly and then the matches that are kind of toss-ups i mean beats novak beats medvedev um i i don't know i saw some people you know saying this is sinner 2.0 can't wait to see sinner 2.0 versus carlos mm. what that could look like uh i just can't wait to see sinner 2.0 against everyone else it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see how he plans his schedule. I, I just assume he's going to play everything. I don't know if the, there will be a, a change or anything like that, but uh, argument to be made, he's the best in the world right now. Obviously, the rankings you know, don't dictate that. And then uh, the women, Sabalenka, can't, can't go against that. I mean, obviously, Iga is, is going to win a, a ton of matches this year, but uh, it's just those matchups where she plays against a super aggressive player that... that it doesn't seem like she's quite figured out how to handle that convincingly yet. So um, I think Sabalenka, what, what do you think? I agree with Sabalenka. I also think she performs well across different court surfaces. So I'm considering that I'm considering the full calendar year with, with how I kind of analyze it. Um, Mm -hmm. She's just on a tear right now with the consecutive semifinals and finals that she's been in. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go Sabalenka one on the women's side on the men's side, because I'm also considering clay court performance and grass court performance. Um, if I was a player, who do I least want to play right now? I think it's still Djokovic. (laughs) Yeah. He's got a lot to prove. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, he's, this is the scenario from a few episodes ago. What's scarier to you if he wins the AO or if he loses the AO and uh, here we are. That's right. (laughs) All right. And uh, just kind of looking ahead to the rest of this week. So like we mentioned, we're going to go to a weekly format post Grand Slams here. Um, So we're probably going to record again on Sunday or Monday. Uh, Right now, this week, you have an ATP 250 event, the South of France Open in Montpellier. Sinner is the defending champion, but he is taking a much needed rest after Wimbledon. (laughs) So Runa is the number one seed there. Um, WTA, you have a 250 event in Thailand, the Thailand Open. Uh, Zhu is the defending champion. She's the two seed. And these are matches on right now, I believe. Um, And then in the WTA 500, you have the uh, upper Austria tournament in Linz. Uh, Potapova is the defending champion there, and she is the five seed. So I'll probably tune into a little bit of that, but um, I think both you and I uh, 
you know, are going to enjoy some rest this week as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'll probably <laughs> I'll catch some matches. I mean, Andy Murray's playing in Montpellier. Also, uh, to note for those interested, conditions and ball changes. Uh, can't speak on the WTA ball, uh, but the men are switching to a head tour ball in Montpellier, which is uh, played indoors. Which uh, I have a question: if anyone knows. Head tour, pen tour, gold can, same thing. I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, I've sent out a couple messages. We'll see. Um, and yeah, like obviously that's this huge difference playing indoor as opposed to outdoor in the summer. They go to France. Well, the south of France, I imagine, is quite nice. But uh, going indoors there, Thailand is played on a pink court, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Madonna Inn up here. You seen that one? <laughs> no. Oh, Madonna Inn is in San Luis Obispo, just you know, okay. s- slow as we call it up here. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple hours, and it's uh, you know, it's like every brand ever does a photo shoot on their like hot pink <laughs> courts. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, got to get out there then. <laughs> yeah. Come on up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know, anything uh, you're excited for during this? I mean, it's sort of a week off, I guess. Um, well, I'm going to get on the courts here in a couple minutes. I'm excited mm-hmm. to not be staying up till 4 or 5 in the morning <laughs> to watch tennis. Um, yep. Yeah, and, and again, for those just kind of curious what this is going to look like, um, you know, we, we're, we're going to talk about the tournaments that are happening during the week, but we're also we're going to just kind of compile all the, the the news that happens over the week of tennis and bring that to you every single week. And if there's something that you want us to cover, this is the right opportunity. Grand Slam, you know, it's go, go, go every single day. There's something to talk about. But this is really where um, we kind of want to get the listeners engaged. So um, I'm looking forward to people sending us some messages on what they want us to cover and what they want us to talk about. I think if there's some seismic news, we're definitely going to hop on and record. There's a lot of talk of, you know, Saudi Arabia, Nadal joining a sponsorship with Saudi tennis. There's uh, some whispers of ATP separating, uh, uh, you know, talking about having a, a, a tier one tour of all the top 100 players. There's a lot of conversations out there that we can have and we want to bring guests on and find the right people to have those conversations with. But if Um, you know, the listeners want to hear something, definitely shoot us a message or send us an email. Uh, maybe we'll, if we start to get enough of that in the future, do some mailbag stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to relaxing this week. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Yeah. All Sleep schedule, playing more tennis. That's right. That's right. Well, Tony, I got to get to the courts. Yep. You do your thing, man. Anything, uh, anything else wrapping up here? Um, no, I mean I did have a, a what uh, what I ate. I almost told Klaus, you know, based on the comment, I was like, oh, "This is <laughs> this is what I ordered for dinner, Klaus." Uh, but I was like, "That's kind of ridiculous." But no, nothing of uh, no, nothing pertinent, I would say. All right, cool. Well, all right. Yeah, Thank man. you all for tuning in. It's been a great AO. Looking forward to ta- talking uh, next week, Tony. All right. See ya. See ya. Smiles on people's faces.